You're listening to the weekly podcast from Solid Ground Church. We hope that this is uplifting and encourages you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. If we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now let's get to this week's message. If we haven't met, my name is Bert. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here, guys. Thanks for getting up. Thanks for spending your Sunday with us. Um, and you picked a fun week for it because today we're beginning a brand new series called This Is Jesus. So if you have a Bible, open up to John chapter 1 is where we're going to be today, John 1. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, um, before you, before you uh, leave today, we have a whole stack of them right over here. We would love just to give one to you. So if you don't have a Bible, please grab one. Absolutely free, our gift to you. No questions asked, no strings attached. Now, I think it's a good idea for us to, to ask this question uh, as we talk about this idea, like, who is Jesus? And, and we're going to begin by asking this question right here, okay? Who is Jesus Christ? And I think it's a good question for, ask, or for us to ask, and the reason is, is because if you were to ask a thousand people, you'd probably get a thousand different answers. If you were to walk down Rehoboth Avenue or 2nd Street and just, you know, accost a stranger and be like, who's Jesus? First of all, they probably mace you. But when that was done, when that was done, I mean, you get a bunch of different answers. So some people, they would say, okay, well, Jesus is, you know, he, he was this hippie, right? With like the long hair and the beard and sandals and, and he taught us to love and he taught us to be good people. And other people would say, well, you know who Jesus was? Jesus, like when, when it comes to it, Jesus is the founder of a big religion. And Jesus was all about maybe, you know, oppressing people and controlling people. And he was a fraud. He was, he was, he was a magician, you know. And I don't know, but, but that's who Jesus was. You, you would ask somebody else, you'd say, who's Jesus? And they would say, he's my Lord and Savior. You'd ask others. You'd ask others. I mean, like, just think about it. We're going into election season right now. And you're not going to have a shortage of voices telling you that they're Jesus' guy or, or, or girl. Like, you'll have all these people who be like, listen, like, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I have this rich faith in my background. I have a very, very, like, deep faith in God and Jesus. And they'll quote, like, a verse of Jesus. But people across the aisle who completely disagree with them, who are completely different people, will also take, like, a Jesus verse and show that they're Jesus' person. And you're looking at both, and you're going, like, all right, you both can't be right. So how does that happen? Who is Jesus Christ? You go to church. And your background of Jesus is different, isn't it? Some churches you go to, and it just seems like no matter what, Jesus is always mad or his feelings have been hurt. You know, like, like no matter what you do, he's, he, like, you, just, you could have done better by him. So you just feel bad, and you're like, oh, no, thank you. Yet you go to other churches, and it seems like you could never offend Jesus. That, that basically everything that you do is golden. And Jesus is, is, is your, your homeboy. He's your... He's your, your, your BFF, the one who, who just turns a blind eye to whatever you do wrong. And both can't be right. And so we ask this question, who is Jesus Christ? And, and, and more to the point, if we were to sort of understand who he was, who he is, what would the people who walked the earth with Jesus have said to that question? If you were to ask those, if you were able to survey the people who knew Jesus best, what is it that they would say in response to such a question? Would they say that, that he's a, a general? Would they say that he was a failure? Would they say that he was a religious leader? If you were to ask them, what would they think of Jesus? Enter the Gospel of John. Because the Gospel of John is written by Jesus' best friend. A guy who, when he's writing about it, he never calls himself John in the Gospel of John. He refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Meaning, guys, I'm the favorite, just so that we're clear. 
And what would John say to that? How would he respond to this notion of the character? How would he respond to this idea of how we've taken the idea of Jesus over the last 2,000 years? Who is Jesus Christ? And that's what we're going to answer in the coming weeks. And we'll be in John for the next, I don't know, probably a while. We'll break it up, have Josh preach something else, and everybody gets sick of it. But look, look. It's a really good question. And the reason, I think every single man, woman, and child should ask this question at some point is because even if you're not a Jesus person, even if you're not a Christian, even if you're not a believer, there is no denying that Jesus Christ is the most influential figure in human history. And everybody's got to grapple with whether or not what he said about himself was true and whether or not this whole thing's true because the entire world has been affected by Jesus. And so listen, if you're not here, or if you're not here, if you're not here, that'd be weird. If you are here... I don't know if you're watching online, whatever. If you're here and you would say that you're not a Jesus follower, man, we're so glad that you're here. And before you, you grab with any questions of, like, is the Bible true? You know, was, like, was there a Noah's Ark or anything like that? Those are not square one. The question that you've got to answer in your heart is this right here. Who is Jesus Christ? I mean, we just ask you to ask that. So all of that said, as we dig into the Gospel of John, John begins his Gospel saying this in John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. And we'll pause right there. Not even a full sentence in. In the beginning was where... I was a little bit toasty. I'm going to pull James Brown, just take off the, uh, the over jacket here. Hang on. Whew, I can't go on. I can't go on. Hang on. All right, look. <laughs> in the beginning was the word. Hey, um, so just to clarify out of the gate, when John writes this, he's not talking about the Bible. For us, like, we use the phrase Word of God for the Bible, and I think that's right. I'm not against using that when we refer to the Bible. The Bible is God's spoken word. Like, it, it contains the words of God. I don't think it's a sin to call the Bible God's word. In fact, one of our values as a church, we say that we are a church uh, grounded or rooted in the word. And I, I wrote that value. I'm not against saying that. It's just that to refer to the Bible here is a miscategorization of what John is saying. So what's he getting at when he talks about, like, in the beginning was the Word. And it's a really big thought, so we've got to spend some time on it, okay? So here's the thing to understand. The word that we translate word is the Greek word logos. Logos. And it's got a ton of thought behind it. So particularly, okay, because when John writes this gospel, he's, 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 he's addressing two, basically two different worlds. He's addressing people who have, a, who have a, a Jewish background and a Jewish faith and people who are of Gentile descent, particularly Greeks. And the way that he writes is sort of bringing these two different religious backgrounds together. So he picks the most weighted word possible to begin this gospel, and it is the word, word. Word. And so here's, what, here's how, we, to understand the thought behind it. If you were Jewish, it went something like this. God's word was so much more than a sound that he made. Think about how the Bible begins, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God said, right? And it was so, because God's word represented his action, it represented his character, it represented his thought, his morality. Like when, when we come to the Old Testament, we find over and over again this idea that like God's word is much more than a sound or terminology. It's about God's action being made manifest. It's why you find things like David in the Psalms when he's fleeing for his life. He's like, Lord, in your word I have placed my hope. He's not talking about scripture and he's not talking about just a sound. He's talking about, listen, God, my hope is that you will deliver me. My hope is in your action that you will take care of me. 
And so if you're coming to John with a Jewish background, this is how you begin to frame this phrase. Okay, listen, in the beginning, what was the word? Okay, it was God's character, it was God's action, it was God's decisions made manifest. But if you're Greek, it's a whole different framework. It's not wrong. Because you see, Greek philosophy went something like this. In the ancient world, this is what they believe. Okay, like that just sort of all creation and how creation came to be really differed depending on who you read. But within philosophy, like, like all the world, all that was just in flux. It was all chaos. That basically everything was unstable, constantly shifting, constantly moving. And they just sort of wondered, okay, what kept everything together? Like, okay, why is it that trees don't just fly off the ground and go into space? Why is it that, you know, our bodies don't just fall apart as we're alive? Like, what is it that keeps creation together? And they had a phrase for it that Greek philosophers developed in the 5th century B.C. Logos, the word. And what the word was to them was it was everything that's constant about creation. It's the thing that holds creation together. It's the only stability in the universe as we know it. The word. The word is why, okay, listen, human beings come out a certain way. So, for instance, like when it comes to morality, because it's bigger than just the physical world. When it comes to morality, why is it that human beings have a sense of should? We might differentiate about like what is right and what is wrong, but all of us come out into the world believing that things should be a certain way. It's a sort of moral compass that's stamped on all of us. And Greek philosophers would say the reason that's there is because of the word. And so when you come to John 1 and you've got these two different worlds coming together, John is basically just merging the two so that everybody can get on the same page when it comes to the person of Jesus. And so if we're curious, okay, if we're going to John 1 and we're looking, okay, what does he mean by the word? Here's our working definition based on what we just heard, okay? Here's the word. Everything godly about God. That's the word. Like, okay, how, what, you know, God is all-powerful. Yeah, that's the word. God is everywhere. Yeah, that's the word. Okay, God is eternal. He doesn't, he doesn't change. He's, he is forever. Yes, that's the word. God has morality. Yes, that's the word. Like, everything godly about God is contained within the phrase, the word. I mean, it's a big phrase. And it's that framework that John begins to, within that, now begin to unpack it and tell the story of Jesus. So back to our first verse, or half of a verse. We'll do more, I promise. In the beginning was the Word. And then he says this, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we get this, right? Think about our actions, okay? Our actions, they are with us, and yet they are also us, right? Like, like when I do, if you notice how we are really good as a culture of removing our actions from us, right? So like you do something, you have a fight with somebody. If you ever notice how you never say like, I'm sorry, I said this. It was, I'm sorry things worked out that way, even though you were the working out of the thing, right? Because we had this hard time with, ah, uh, it was me. Okay, why? Because at the end of the day, our actions are us, and yet they're apart from us, aren't they? Like, they come from us, they, like, we are defined by what we do for sure, and yet they leave us in the same way, John goes, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word was everything godly about God, and yet, at the same time, the word is God's action made manifest. So what does that mean? Here's what it means. It means that at the end of the day, if we're sort of asking this question, who is Jesus Christ? The very first thing that John wants you to see is this, that Jesus is himself God. Unequivocally. 
Like that Jesus is God in a bod. All right? That, I mean, but, but seriously, like, and we'll see him like really, really just articulate that, that Jesus is God himself in human flesh. And like, there's no getting around that when it comes to this phrase, the word. Now, just for a moment, think about what this means, like the ramifications of that. Okay? Because here's the deal. If John, who was Jesus' best friend, concluded that, that's very shocking. Here's why. Have you noticed that the more you get to know someone, the more of their flaws you see? Right? I mean, just, like, I mean, how many of us, like, we, you know, we make new friends, and we think, okay, maybe finally I'll have a friend who's not crazy. Right? Like, like I finally, oh, someone said they seem like they have it together. Oh, good. And you hang out, and the, like, the more you hang out with them, the more you become convinced, oh, no, no, they're, they're messed up. Like, oh, like, they, they are absolutely, like, they, they, they're good at hiding it, but wow, okay. Like, right? And, and that's just normal. That's life. Because here's the truth. That's everybody. That's everybody. Like, as John Ortberg once said, everybody's normal until you get to know them. That's true. It's why, hey, when I do marriage counseling for couples, they're discovering little fun things along the way because they're getting to know each other better, you know? That's not wrong. It's just, it's just humanity, right? You know, like, like the red flag to me, if I'm sitting down with a couple and we do pre-marriage counseling and they say, you know, everything that I've learned about my significant other has pleased me, I'm like, then you are not getting to know them well at all. Why? Because, like, the more that you know someone, the more their flaws become apparent and they become amplified. Now, here's why I'm bringing this up, because you have to ask the question, okay, why would John, who's hanging out with Jesus, like, what is it about Jesus that John, the more that he gets to know him, goes, he's even better than I thought? Like, how good of a person, how, like, how godly of a person does someone have to be that their closest friends would go, man, he's actually God in the flesh, and what life do you have to live to conclude, like have someone that close to you conclude that? I mean, you have to back that up even when they're not, or even when you think they're not paying attention. Like, who is Jesus that would cause those closest to him to go, God, that's a big claim. And yet that's exactly who John thinks Jesus is. And as our story unpacks, and as we go forward, we're going to see exactly why he concluded that. Now, one other thing, and then we'll move on to the next verse, okay? There are groups, cults, who incorrectly translate this verse. Particularly, I'm thinking of like the Jehovah's Witnesses, who, who deny the deity of Christ, who say like Jesus isn't God, and they have a works-based salvation. You should just know that. If, if, if you ever meet a Jehovah's Witness, they're like, oh, we're both Christians. No, you're not. Like, the entire system of salvation is different. Jehovah's Witnesses, when the, when the Watchtower's quote-unquote translation of the Bible comes up, they translate this verse as the word was a God because they don't believe Jesus was divine. Here's just something to know. I don't expect anybody to remember the ins and outs of this. I just want to give this to you. You can Google it later on your own time. Or if you have a friend or family member you want to share with, fine. The reason we translate this as the word was God and not the word was a God is Greek 101. It's a thing called Colwell's rule, all right? Colwell's rule simply states that a definite predicate noun preceding a verb usually lacks the article, hence translation is right. I don't think anybody remember that. But the traditional reading of this text, the traditional translation of the word was God is absolutely spot on, and what we're going to see is it actually is in alignment with not just one verse, but the rest of John 1. 
In fact, John 1 is about the word being God. To remove his divinity is to absolutely gut the text of what it is saying. So, Colwell's rule, Google it later. All right, so John 1, verse 2 says this. Are we ever going to read the Bible? Yes. He was with God in the beginning. And there's this phrase again. We saw, right, in the beginning was the word. Now he says the same phrase again. He was with God in the beginning. And what John is doing is he's deliberately making you think about something that's preceded in Scripture, particularly the creation narrative of Genesis 1. Remember how the whole Bible begins? When we studied Genesis last year, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Remember? Okay. What John is doing as he's setting up Jesus' entrance into creation is introducing this simple idea that, listen, just as God created everything through Christ, as we're going to see, God was about to recreate again. Okay, just as the world was made, like in the beginning, God is, he was at the work of creation again in the person of Jesus. And we'll see that basically he's recreating us as people. And so John goes, listen, you want to understand who Jesus was? He was there at creation. John 1, 3 says it this way, okay? Through him, all things were made, and without him, nothing was made that has been made. He continues. In him was life. You see, like the God of this, right? Like, so nothing was made without him. He made everything. That's a pretty big God thing. In him was life. Who is life? God is life. Who breathes and, like, puts life within the clay of Genesis 1 through 3. God. Okay. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. I love this next verse, okay? The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is not overcome it. Nobody de denies the darkness of the world in which we live. Nobody denies the brokenness of it. And that was certainly apparent to the people that John wrote this to, many of whom lost family members and several lost their lives as they tried to live out their faith in Christ. And John goes, listen, guys, from the outset, I need you to understand something. When the world was at its worst, God was at his best. And no matter what, hey, no matter what this world does to you, you cannot undo the faithfulness of God manifest in Christ. Somebody just needs to hear this today. Okay, I, I don't know what you've been, like has just been thrown your way this week. Just, just hear me out, okay? No, like when the world is at its worst, God was at his best. Like the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's take a time. We, we got to jump on. Jump on down to verse 9, and we're going to continue, okay? Here's what it says. The true light that gives light to everyone, and we'll unpack that more in John later, was coming into the world. And it says, he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And now we begin to see the tragedy of how John's going to tell the story of Jesus. That here's Jesus who made everything because he himself is God and yet when he came into the world the world that he made it didn't see him and, and John goes and you know what's even worse about that he says this he came to that which was his own but his own did not receive him 
I mean, he came, of all the people in the world that he could have come to, he came to the people that were called by his name, the people that were supposed to be a light in the darkness, the people who said, listen, we are in covenant, we are the people of God, the people of Israel. He came to his own. He came from the people of Israel. And they didn't see him. I mean, that's heartbreaking. For him to essentially stand there and be like, I'm right here and you don't even see me. And just before we despair, and just before we're like, oh, man, aren't we the worst? John introduces the hope again. He says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I want to pause on that. Yet to all who did receive him, okay, and those who believed in his name. Okay, so what makes someone a child of God? Faith. Belief in his name. It's not you earning anything from God. Okay, okay. he gave the right to become children of God. Here's how scandalous that phrase is, all right? Because I know we, we live in a time where just being called a child of God is pretty, I mean, you, you can believe anything, right? Because we have this belief and we say it in our terminology as Americans. Oh, like we're all God's children. Jesus would say, no, you're not. And why this is so important um, is because up until this moment, really no one thought of relating to God in this way. It was arrogant to do so. I mean, you can find in the Old Testament the idea of the entire nation of Israel being God's child. But one person? Individually? I mean, to say, that, okay, listen, God, the creator of the universe, wants to relate to you or me, not as a boss, not as a king, not as a judge, but as a father. Whoa! That's so personal. That's so scandalous. And Jesus would go, yeah. And I came to bring it about. And so he says this, okay, this, this brand new way of relating to God, okay? Children born not of natural descent. It wasn't about your lineage. It wasn't, okay, well, I was raised in this. And my family, none of that, okay? Nor of human decision or a husband's will, but of God. Children born not because they were of the right, you know, background. Children not born because a couple people got together and sparks flew or a couple people got together and, oh, that was a surprise. Like, none of that. None of that. Born of God's will. Now, here's what this means for you. And I, and I just need I, oh, I love you guys. I, I want you to hear this today. Because some of you, you believe that God's relationship to you rests on you. But that's not what the text says. The text says, listen, we are born because God decided to bring us spiritual life. So here's what this means, okay? For the, for the one who's here today and, and where you are is you constantly just cast yourself down. And the way that you do that is you're just, like, you're so aware of your sin. And you're like, oh, man, like, I should be better. And, and you find yourself, like, because you're just always back and forth with this struggle that's inside of you. And you're like, man, like, I don't, am, I, am I even saved? Am I even a Christian? Because, like, shouldn't people who actually love Jesus be different than me? Come on. Here's the thing I want you to understand. Okay, listen. Born of God, this is the reality according to this text. And if you're taking notes, write this down. You can't want God unless he wants you. You can't. The fact that there's this divide in you that's like, oh, I want to do this, but I do that. The fact that there is even a divide means God himself has looked at you with love and wants you. No, you're not a chore to God. No, you're not somehow sneaking into the family and he's just sort of putting up with you. Children born not of human will, but of God. It's 100% on him. 
not on you. And you couldn't even have a desire for him unless he placed it there. Oh. And so our text continues. The word became flesh. This eternal word that has existed forever, the stability of creation, the creator of creation, the morality, the compass, the life, the light of creation. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. As Eugene Peterson paraphrases it in his version of the Bible, the message, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. What a statement. God, who is outside of time, who is outside of the cosmos, stepped down into the world that he wrapped himself in a body and dwelled among you and me. Now, here's why this is so big. This is so different from any other teaching out there. I mean, just think about, think about other religions where it's, it's all about a teacher who's sort of interpreting something about a God, right? Like, like there's, there's a God out there, and, and okay, that God maybe has spoken to me, or I've figured it out that it's like that, and Christianity goes, yeah, about that. Our God just stepped and started hanging out with us, and a bunch of us met him, and a bunch of us saw, not, not, not one person, not a couple people in a back room, no, a bunch of us saw him living on the earth, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And here's why this is so big, okay? Because there are so many of us, as we approach this idea of Jesus being God in a bod, there are so many of us, when it comes to relating to God, you can relate to Jesus. And you can be like, oh man, like, yeah, Jesus is my friend. I'm good with Jesus. But when it comes to relating to God, the Father, you keep your distance. Maybe you do that because you had a bad earthly father, or maybe you're just intimidated by the idea of God. To which I want you to understand what this text is saying about the person of Jesus. And John will just reiterate this throughout the entire gospel. It's this. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you're curious. How would God respond to, how does God respond to me? What does God think of me? What does he want for me? Like, what are his feelings and his intentions towards me? You look at Jesus and you see exactly what that is. Oh, I messed up. How would God feel? How would Jesus respond? That's how God feels. Oh, like, I, I, I want to I do this. I wanna, how would Jesus respond? That's how God feels about you. If you are curious what God is like, you look at Jesus. Why? Because the word became Everything godly about God stepped into the world. So John, wait, and I, I just, I, I want you to hear this today, um, because this is why we're doing this series. As, as I've just been, I, I had, I'm, I'm going to own this, I had planned out through August something completely different in this church. There's a bunch of different series. They're really hip and cool, and I felt like the Holy Spirit was just like, nope, um, and my heart for you is that as we go in this, you would just know Jesus. And that you would just spend some time with God. That you would understand, like you would just come to a realization of who he actually is. Because life with him is so good. He's so good. I got to keep moving here. All right, John 1.14 says this. We have seen his glory. Witnesses of it. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And there's so much in this verse right here, okay? Um, again, I said, listen, like it, this idea of Jesus being God isn't just in John 1 1 and 1 2. Okay, like again, it's right here, okay? Like even this terminology of we've seen his glory, 
Okay, what is glory? It's that what comes from God. Like John is referring here to crazy things like God's glory in Exodus, like Mount Sinai, the glory of God coming down, shaking the mountain, the glory of God coming down in the tabernacle. Like John is going out of his way to attribute deity to Christ. He says the glory of the one and only son who came from the Father. And, and this is a, a phrase that we, I bring up at least once or twice a year because it's so important, okay? Full of grace and truth. That Jesus' character, that who he is, what he brought, was full of grace and truth. Now, here's why this is important, okay? And if you've heard it, this is old hat for you, just, just smile and nod, okay? Um, because when it comes to how Christians error in how they relate to God, it's usually because they do one of these two things and not the other. So, there are Christians who are all about the truth end of God. Okay, listen, when it comes to there's such a thing as right and wrong. There are rules. There are things that are to be expected. I mean, there are churches, right, that, that sort of that, that gravitate around this idea. Listen, we have the word of God. We're standing up for integrity. Like, we're good. Like, it's truth, 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 truth. But they lack grace. And you would never own your stuff in a church like that. You would never confess anything. Because you'd be so afraid of being rejected. Right? Okay. But here's the other end. Grace. And what grace says is, listen, God does not hold your sin against you. All right? Listen, nothing you can do would ever make God love you any more or any less. In fact, in Christ, he has freely given salvation to wipe away your past and give you new life. And there are Christians who take that idea, but they gut the truth end. And so any question or any talk of repentance, any talk of life change goes out the window because it's just about how good I feel. Why? Because the heart is evil. Let me just, come on. The, the heart is evil. It's basically, I want to feel good and keep doing what I'm doing. And there's no heart for God in that. But it's all about grace, okay? And here's the thing to understand about Jesus. It's both. That God loves you enough to not kiss your butt. Like that he loves you enough to say, listen, when you do wrong, it's wrong. And I'm not going to pretend that it's not. But, hey, hey, grace, but if you come to me, if you turn from your sin and you turn to me, I will wipe it away so that it never happened. And that's who Jesus is. And that's okay. He came full of grace and truth. And John reiterates this. Jump on down to verse 17. He says, for the law was given through Moses. Okay, the, it used to be you related to God through keeping these rules. Okay, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John, as a good Jewish boy, would say, I used to have religion. And Jesus gave me something better. And he raps, and he says, no one has ever seen God. Even when, even when we had Moses, it was through a cloud, and, and God was at a distance. He goes, listen, no one's ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God. Does the Bible say Jesus is God? Yes, right there, and so many other places we've read today, Okay. He is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. That, that the Son has stepped into the world to tell us exactly who God is in a way that causes us to not explode upon meeting him. And so back to our point from earlier, and I just want us to soak in this as we, as we wrap up today. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. As we ask this question, who is Jesus Christ? He's God. And what that means for you, what that means for how God wants to relate to you, what that means for how God thinks of you and what he wants for you, 
John will unpack in the rest of this gospel, and I am so excited for us to discover it together. So let me pray for us. True God of true God, living word, revealed perfectly in the Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you because you have stepped into the world that you left very little guessing work and instead have made yourself known to us. Lord, I thank you because you relate to us with grace and truth. That you've come to speak truth in the darkness, to bring light, and to wipe away our past through your blood and your grace. We love you. And we ask you, as we go forward, let us know you better. Thank you for dying for our sin. Thank you for rising from the dead. In Jesus' name we pray.